Hey folks, when we first started recording this episode on Sunday, March 22nd, we had been planning on avoiding discussion of the coronavirus as much as possible, assuming that everyone else was probably getting pandemic fatigue. But after we wrapped up that episode, it became clear that we still had a lot of things to get off our chest. Chris and I live in California, which was one of the first states to go into lockdown. Furthermore, Chris, as a former nurse, had some especially strong opinions about the ongoing crisis. So we decided to convene a follow-on recording session on Monday to talk out some of the things we had initially skipped over. If you're only here for the shop talk, feel free to tune out after our outro. If you want to stick around for the full discussion, our COVID-related conversation will start at around the 58-minute mark. Thanks for listening, guys. Welcome to episode 45 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my presumably healthy co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. Eddie, Chris, how are you doing on this fine, dreary evening? Well, I'm staying virus-free in Texas so far. How about you, Chris? How are you doing? Yeah, uh, doing all right. I'm healthy. The city's on lockdown over here in L.A., but yeah, we're, we're doing okay so far. That's good to hear. How about you, Winston? Um, I am doing all right. I've been uh, commanded to basically work from home for a while, and uh, um, some of that's changed how and the kinds of things I'm doing for Carbide 3D. So this past week, um, I did a live stream just to sort of engage with people, give them some, some extra real-time help, um, and just also just people are home they're they're watching more stuff like this is our time to catch people's eyeballs and uh sort of just talk and build the community a little so things are different but they're still going ahead as usual oh, yeah i mean it's it's great because i think uh like i would go crazy <laughs> if i didn't have something like this to do something like uh cnc and making yeah how did that turn out by the way winston the live cast it went good. It's a bit of a learning process just because it's been months since I've done any sort of live streaming. And so I was, my thought process was let's just like, I know there's a bunch of questions out there. Um, so I started this as sort of a Q&A session. But um, after this first time, I started to realize that to string together a compelling sort of show type format, I need a just an undercurrent to just draw everything along like a, a story, a narrative, a plot. And so next time I do this, I'm probably going to focus on a project. So like how to make something in Fusion and then how to make it in Carbide Create, um, just so that I can bring people along and answer questions as I go. Otherwise, I just I jump around on topics too much because I'm just reading through the list, only focusing on those things. So it's like, hey, how do you like do a boring operation in Fusion? And then you jump to Carbide Create, like, oh, how do you do a V carving? And it's it's just too disjointed. So I need to just actually sort of have a plan that I can just work on, like just continuously work towards and then answer questions as they come in. And I think as these go on, um, there will be fewer pent up questions so I can actually spend more time explaining things in a more controlled manner. But other than that, it was actually pretty good, I thought. Um, I got to work on my, uh, I need to enable auto gain in Open Broadcast Studio. And uh, other than that, though, the reception was fairly positive. That's good. I tried to make it, but I, I didn't make it home in time. Yeah, that's all right. You are still busy and working, which is honestly a good thing. Assuming yeah. you don't infect other people. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful that we're still able to work. So that's a good thing, definitely. It's good to be needed. Yeah. Well, I think everyone wants to know, Eddie, how's the Neo doing so far? It made it, so uh, I think... 
So we recorded Sunday two weeks ago, and the riggers were bringing it out that fall. They basically brought it out the following Wednesday, and they were here uh, probably like if it was seventy minutes, I'd be surprised. It was like uh, in like ten minutes to unload the forklift off the back of the truck, and then like they had it out of the crate and in the garage in no time. And um, it was really it was kind of funny because like there's this big crate, and I'm like, okay, there's the neo, and then they brought it up, and it's like, oh, we're done. They're like, oh no, it's another crate. <laughs> it's like just <laughs> as big, full of boxes and all the accessories and you know basic supplies and all kinds of stuff. So basically, Datron gives you a machine that's ready to go when you get it other than the initial tech visit, right? To do the, I guess the final hookup on it. Yeah. I'm sure it came with like a uh, shipping, like uh, what are they called? Like supports. So like the spindle doesn't like move around and stuff. Yeah. So it's um, just like, I've seen them on the Haas too. Like the spindles bolted to the table, actually on the, I saw it on the current. I'm sure they all do that, but um, yeah, very well packed for, for shipping and uh, everything's like really pretty well labeled like they have the essentials that you need like why the riggers are there um in the chip tray under the machine so you pull that out and there's a box of like the stuff you need immediately i didn't i think they told me that in training and i forgot because there's like a million boxes right um so i'm like i'm going through the whole pallet looking for <laughs> like keys to open the machine and everything so they could uh, unbolt it from the from the pallet but they were all like right there <laughs> And yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah, so they got it hooked up. I mean, not hooked up. They got it uh, uncrated, set down where I wanted it. And uh, then I spent like the rest of that day just unpacking boxes and kind of getting everything, you know, checked off against the checklist. I missed a couple of items, um, little things uh, that Datron's sending me, but nothing that kept me from using the machine. It's like a, I think a cap, the cap for the coolant uh, spindle chiller. Uh, went missing. I think it probably fell off when the riggers were uncreating. It's just like a little plastic cap. Mm. And then, um, yeah, the other thing was the key, right? <laughs> took me literally the last box open, had the, the key to open the, uh, the service panels and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So by Wednesday, I was basically ready to go. Just waiting on Dan to come down. He was, he, you know, that was the other big thing. Like when sure with this like virus news breaking, if, uh, you know, if that trip was going to have to get postponed, we were kind of playing it day by day. By day. But uh, he made it, and he was here last week, got the machine all hooked up, and uh, got the ball bar test run, and uh, he was here like Tuesday and Wednesday of last week. And then I made my first part on it. Uh, well, we, we started to make a part while Dan was here, and uh, messed up on the, you know, it's one of the fixture plates, right, to hold the vice. Mm -hmm. one of the vices on there and I messed up on the on infusion on the modeling. I made them like, there's a couple, there's like eight threaded holes on there. I picked the wrong, uh, M five, like there's two different sizes of M five and I made the holes too big. So we just basically end up using that one as a practice for all the other ops. And, um, that was when I ran into the other problem, which is my compressor did not it basically it worked. Okay. to like the end of the day, like at the end of that op on that first plate, uh, one of the two motors went into thermal shutdown and then it couldn't supply enough air to keep the Neo happy. So the Neo faulted out on low air, oh, um, but that only happened once. So somebody actually Marvin suggested that I, uh, basically put a fan on the, on, you know, blowing on the compressor. Mm -hmm. And ever since I did that, I put like, we have a big floor fan here. 
I just have it blowing over the heads on the compressor and through the motors, and like, I haven't had no problems since then. So I'm still pretty sure that compressor is not going to have a long life. I've kind of heard from a few other folks that have Neos that say, you know, you really got to kind of probably go with the scroll compressor or screw compressor to keep that thing happy. So I'm in the I'm in the research phase, you know, kind of pulling out my notes when I was first shopping for compressors and looking at some of the ones on the, that I kind of passed on because I didn't want something to do that much current. But um, I'm kind of prepping now to do the upgrade. I had the electrician out here Sunday of last week and talked to him about it. And um, yeah, he says I can run up to easily run a 30 amp compressor. Like he has enough, uh, I have enough current now that he's brought his meter out and he can check what we're drawing with the AC and the oven and dryer on and the machine on, I got plenty. So, um, more than we thought. Yeah. At least you're able to keep running until you figure it out. A lot of it depends on how much coolant you're using out of the microjet. Like that kind of draws a lot of air. So I've been trying to slowly tune that down to where it's, um, works, you know, not getting any heat in the aluminum when I'm cutting it, um, but not using too much air. So, so far, so good. And I got uh, got the first part out, got the laying mounted on the table today. And I need to make uh, the one for the orange, but I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna just thread like the half inch 13 bolts into the aluminum. So that's, that might be a little, like, I don't know if that would hold. <laughs> so we'll see. I may just go with like a thread insert for that. The, um, the laying has like eight bolts, hold it to the, to the, subplate but there's only two on the orange vice so i don't know I, i'll keep kind of twiddling or tweaking that design and see if i can get something that's going to be secure yeah so i got um like a few more work holding things to make just to kind of get me up and going on the neo and then i want to start making some fun stuff and kind of spend a few weeks getting just comfortable with the machine it's going pretty pretty good so far like uh getting really comfortable with next and with the control and some of the bigger tools that I haven't run before, like the eight millimeter. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's still, you know, it's intimidating, right? A new machine like that for someone who's used to hobby machines. But, um, I think in a way that's good. So I don't try to go all crazy on the first day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll get over that quickly though. Yeah. I think like in a week, maybe, um, I'll be ready to, to mount the fourth axis and kind of start doing some four axis work on there. But I'm having too much fun with the vacuum plates right now. <laughs> that's, that's like, those things rock. It's so simple. That combined with the probing, it's so easy to set up work and even two-sided work. Like the fixture plate was two-sided for the subplate, And um, like, I don't think I've had that good of alignment even when I do like my bolt down fixture two-sided fixtures on my little machines here. So that's definitely something I'm going to probably always have at least one of the backing plates on the machine because it's so convenient. And the other thing that's it was like, you know, I knew it would be good, but when I actually tried it, it was like, I'm still trying to get used to it is the ATC. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't think I can ever go back to a machine that doesn't have an ATC now. Totally spoiled on that. Yeah. So like um, some folks were talking about like how come haven't been you know, I put a little bit of video up but it's different right because like with the hobby machines I could go you know you set up your work holding you start the machine it's going to run for a while right so you got time to kind of go get your phone out and film it 
but on the Neo, like everything's happening so fast and I still got to kind of keep an eye on it, keep a hand on this, the feed and, uh, rapid overrides. Right. It's like kind of get used to, you know, cause everything I'm running now is like the first time I run it. So, um, you just got to throw time, up a camera and let it record. Yeah, exactly. Just let <laughs> it record like over- the whole thing while you go put your hand on the feed hole. Yeah. I need a Julie, <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, the thing is, it's just, there's no time to film. It's over so fast. <laughs> and, have you uh, like been, over. have you worked up the courage to run it at a hundred percent yet? Yeah. If you, if you see the video I put, or the post I made yesterday on the fixture plate, um, I think the second there's one where it's, oh, the, I think it's doing the thread milling and then the, uh, chamfers that's all running at full rapids. Cause I'd already proved that before. Mm-hmm. So that was like the third time I ran <laughs> that one. I knew those worked. So I let it kind of go through the full speed, uh, you know, do that op, do a tool change and then start the second op. And I'm still not running it. Um, like the full cutting speeds, mm-hmm. like we're kind of being conservative. I mean, you turn, you turn those down a little bit from Datron's, uh, kind of, they have a guide right for each tool and each spindle. But if you're using vacuum, you know, you got to kind of tone it down a little bit from there. Um, but once I get stuff running in the vice, I think I'll, uh, start running it, you know, at their full recommended cutting speeds and RPM and see what happens. Good. I, it's gonna I be think, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. going to be real fun to watch all that. So yeah, there's going to be even even less time to film it, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's done with the ramp. Yeah. Winston and I are, are secretly hating you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, like the other thing, I was kind of I don't want to say nervous about, but just had no not, no uh, reference to of previous experience to kind of guide my expectations, but you know, having a machine in the garage, um, I was kind of expecting it to be kind of a mess, you know, with chips everywhere. And I mean, I get a little bit, but the machine does a really good job of kind of keeping them contained. Uh, if you, you know, you gotta be careful when you open the door and start taking parts out, right. Kind of make sure they're swept off first, but, um, it's like no chips like leaking out of crevices in the machine and getting all over the, the garage. It's going to be really easy to keep it clean. And the other thing was like, I don't even smell the alcohol at all. When I'm using IPA, like I should smell it, right? But um, other than like when I first opened the door after right after finishing a part, I can just catch a little trace of it. But like it's not in the garage as far as a noticeable scent. So I was kind of a surprise when I'm around like uh, in the applications labs, Daytron where they had the big machines running. You definitely smell a little bit. You know, you smell the just a little. This is like a you know, like an air freshener, but it's ethanol, right? Just a little, it's not <laughs> overpowering, but you know, it's there. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's real, yeah. But, um, the only time I smell it is when I'm filling the tank. So they have like an exhaust fan for that, right? Yeah. It just, but it vents out the top oh, okay. into the room. Okay. So, um, yeah, and I can barely see it. Like I can see the only time I ever see it, it's like if it's doing a slow, like when it was thread milling, right. It's kind of staying in the same place for a few seconds i can see it like it evaporates so quickly um you don't really see it you can't see it coming out of the nozzles unless you kind of uh dan showed me a trick where you can backlight it with your phone and you can see it so when you're making adjustments makes it pretty easy to see the the mist have you decided what to do with all the chips are you going to recycle them or just 
Yeah. Yeah. So right now I'm probably at like the first 10% of the chip. Well, I don't think I'd, you'd probably empty it at halfway point. Otherwise it'd be too heavy to, to carry or to move by one, you know, with one guy, but, um, it's about 10% full right now. And some of that's just, uh, like I got rid of, I kind of cleaned up, took the opportunity of the machine coming here when I was getting everything organized, um, all the tools and everything just to kind of clean up some of the, my scrap bin inside the inside shop. So I just, I had a bunch of like, you know, quarter of a plate left of aluminum and a bunch of Delrin and stuff that was just the, the remnants after parts were made that I thought I'd make something else out of, but really they're too small. So I end up just throwing those, uh, the aluminum in the chip tray. So when I go to recycle, I'll go to the recycler. So yeah, with that, if that wasn't in there, probably wouldn't barely be covering the floor with chips. Like really, we've really only made two parts and one of them was just the top side off and then we ab aborted. But, um, yeah, right now I'm going to put it in uh, Home Depot orange buckets and drive it to the recycler. I don't think I have enough yet to probably never will have enough for them to come out and pick it up. But I'll talk to them when I'm out there. So they're actually like right by where I used to work when I had the day job. Nice. Yeah, I expect that to be a messy process. <laughs> just have to scoop them out of there. Yeah, I don't. I don't envy the machinists when I walk by and I see them like yeah. shoveling the chips out of the machine. Yeah. Well, I mean, the nice thing about the neos, those chips are dry. So they come out, they're clean and they're dry. There's no oil, no nothing on them. Yeah, they've basically been sterilized before they fell in there. Yeah. So, yeah, they're easy to get out. They're not all like clump. Well, they kind of clump from mat from the weight, but they're not like stuck together and dripping and all that nasty stuff I've seen on some of the other machines. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah, it's just like a lot to process. So I'll probably have a little more co coherent uh, update on the next podcast. But right now I'm just still kind of in awe of it. You know? yeah, you're still on the yeah. first date, you know? You're still whining and dying, yeah. getting to know each other. Just trying to get used to the speed of it. It's like, <laughs> you know, I knew it was fast. I've seen it. I've used the machine before. But, like, it's different when you're kind of running the controls and no one, no one's there, right. To say, oops, you know, you got to kind of really pay attention to what you're doing. So, uh, yeah, and I haven't made any bad mistakes yet. I think, um, yeah, the closest I came is I left like the feed rate or the rapid knob on full, like, and then kind of forgot it was there and was starting to make a knock like a, a jog. And I remember to oh, check that. <laughs> so, uh, that, yeah, that would have been, it would have, wouldn't have broken anything, but it would have scared the crap out of me. <laughs> that thing went flying across the necks, you know. So, yeah. Have you been so, uh, conversing with uh, Saunders or uh, Ed Reese about your uh, your Daytron trials? Yeah, so uh, Ed, um, I hit him up for this beats and feed he, feeds he used for that recent, uh, he was like stock leveling post that he made. Because uh, the finish on that subplate looked really, really good. So I know he was using the same face smell I'm using. And I'm still experimenting with that. Like, I'm really happy with that tool. But uh, it's a, that 14-millimeter two-flute. haven't run the 14-millimeter the single flute yet. Um, I'm trying to think. Just trying to kind of find the optimal speed for aluminum. Because I've seen, I have like three different recipes. They're all good. But that's uh, kind of trying to get the best, I don't know how to explain it. Like, uh, I guess, I mean, the, the surface finishes are good at all the speeds. 
but um, I kind of want to find the one that makes the tool last long too, because that's probably the most expensive tool in my in my ATC right now. That's going to be a hard one to quantify, though. Yeah, like don't don't the tool manufacturers have that info though? I would assume that they know, like, okay, this is how you make the tool last. You run it at this, you know, like their App Sky or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think like uh, I see. Uh, I think even Daytron, like on the bigger Daytrons, they do more than like they rough with that tool. <laughs> like on the Neo, it's just for spacing, right? I don't know if I'd rough with that tool. It's pretty it'd be a pretty heavy spindle load, but um, yeah. So that's it's an interesting tool. It's like I think you can actually go. There's one. I can't remember if it's a 14 millimeter. You can go like three millimeters deep, but on the Neo, you typically run that tool about maybe half a millimeter deep. Um, I think you can go up to, I think Ed was running uh, maybe closer to a millimeter. I gotta go look at his number. Well, I shouldn't say where they are because I don't know if those may end up in proven cut, but, but uh, yeah, he was, he was pretty far outside of like Daytron's published number and getting really good results as far as the surface finish and flatness of the part. So I think it was, it was interesting variation. Yeah, I think like one of the things I'm looking forward to with the UMC is that I get to finally sit down with like the machine and I, I'm just going to put a bunch of stock on there and just do test cuts for like the first couple of weeks. I want to really like yeah. zero in on what is the best finish, you know, service feed per minute, chip load. Like I, I want to like be able to sit and like do it for myself, not just read from what I've seen online or other people so that I that kind of ingrains in me because most machinists that I know that are experienced they don't they don't use any of that stuff like when I try to ask guys at work like so what would you guys run he's like ah, you know probably this and that and do a little bit of that and that's usually how everyone is they have like a gut kind of they just know this works because they've done it they can't really nobody quantifies it as like okay run this at this much service fee per minute at this much chip load like nobody I talked to has ever said that they look at me and go I don't know what I don't know anything about that stuff. I just <laughs> run it at 40 inches at this much. And then, you know, so I really want to get kind of like away from that. I don't want it to be a gut feeling. I want to be able to explain and be like, okay, th if you do it like this, at this depth and this width with this end mill, you're going to get this type of finish if you can go this fast. Like I want to be able to explain to somebody else, like, okay, this is why I chose this. So I'm, I'm more excited about being able to just nerd out a little bit, not make a part, but just sit there and look at the finishes I can achieve on the machine. So... I'm sure you, you'll probably feel the same way. Yeah, that's funny because that's usually what I do when I get a new machine here. It's like I spend a few weeks just doing nothing but tests and, you know, trying to figure out what the machine can do and kind of what's the right strategy for it because usually it's hobby machine and other than carbide, most of the, well, actually they all have, when I first started doing this, right, nobody had guides for those particular machines uh, or at least if they did, the data was kind of, not right um it worked but it wasn't optimal so i would you know spend a lot of time characterizing the machine with the tools i like to use and uh, that's always been like a useful and productive um endeavor it kind of got the machine outperforming i think even what most of the the manufacturers of the machine thought it could do so but with the Neo, it's like completely different. Yeah, all that stuff's already, all that data is already gathered. And it's more like uh, you don't have to think about it too much. Just if you stick with Datron tooling, um, it's easy to find the right speed and feed for that specific machine. As long as you're cutting, you know, I think they publish for aluminum and those are also good for plastic, according to their guide. 
it's not their full catalog, but like the single flute tools, which is like 90% of what I'm using. It's not going to be, I probably won't be doing a lot of experimenting with that. Uh, I think with like in your case with the UMC, you've got like so many more variables that probably going to keep you kind of busy with that experimentation, especially mm -hmm. around like long, long stick out, long tool extensions. Um, you know, you're going to have to, they're probably very uh, much narrower band where those tools run. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it'll take some, take a little bit of work to kind of, cause I don't think you can even use or rely on manufacturers numbers because they're probably don't take into account like the extender you put on the tool or whatever. Right? Yeah. So you still have to that and they probably way too slow. Like that's not as fast as you can push it and stuff. Yeah. I, I basically want to like break an ML and then back off 10%. Like that's, that's what I'm shooting for. Okay. Yeah. I think it's to be, uh, I can't wait to get your machine. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Be cool. Do you know if Haas is still uh, operating these days? Or are they essential? Have you gotten an update on like when the machine's coming? Uh, I haven't heard the guys. I've been talking to our rep more about the five axis work holding stuff because he's actually the same rep for that as well. He's a distributor for them. So, um, no, he's he, them. I'm sorry. Oh, for fifth Distrib axis work holding. Okay. So my same Haas rep, because the Haas is a distributor for the work holding. So like, uh, he's helping us kind of set up the, the quote for that as well. And we've just been going back and forth on that. He hasn't actually mentioned anything about there being a delay or anything. So um, I'm not worried if this if it's going to be late a few weeks or not. It's not a big deal. You know, it's very small compared to what's going on everywhere else. So um, it, it just gives me time to, to figure other stuff out before it gets here. But as far as I know, everything should be on schedule. Um, maybe in like three weeks or so, I think. But we'll see what, what he says if anything comes up. Yeah, as long as Fusion in the cloud is up and running, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's not, I'm, yeah, we're all out of business. Um, well, I guess it, we can go back to uh, Carbide Create and keep our Carbide <laughs> machines running. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can you can pull off thirty days without the uh, the servers up for Fusion. Oh, for the license? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but can you get to your? You can't get to your stuff, right? Like I don't back oh. my stuff up. Well, a few few things I do, but. Um, I save locally, but most of my stuff, I, I trust the cloud. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not stuff I would like have to shut my doors if, if I couldn't access it ever again. But I think the world can live without my, my spinner models. <laughs> Are you going to make a, a fidget spinner on the Neo? I am. I am just because uh, I had a few people ask for them. I'm not going to, I'm not making them. I, have no plans to make any for sale, but uh, I still have some like uh, what do you call it? like a short list of friends that that uh, want one made on the Neo. So uh, I think I was thinking it'd be a good like fourth axis project. If I had to make a lot of them, I'd do it on vacuum. But um, since I'm just making a few, I think I'll just make them one at a time. Use the fourth axis and do window cutting for the main body. I actually I think I could get like if I start with the right piece of stock I could do the whole like the spinner body and the two buttons the two center caps in the same plate and the weights are different materials I'd have to those I could probably do on the vacuum because um, there's six of them per spinner it'd be easier just to have those running on the vacuum and the the main spinner like all the aluminum parts just come out of one plate 
I still kind of want to do a aluminum bronze or something, you know, something a little different. So now the question is like, where am I going to do the, run the wood for the cases that they go in? That's actually takes longer to make than the spinner. Um, at least it did on the, on the machines I was using here before. I don't think I want to run wood in the Neo. I have no <laughs> dust collection in there. I do have my Shapeoko. <laughs> so. The Shapeoko should be able to handle it. Were you making the wooden cases on the Nomad? I was making them on the Nomad. They don't, and I, you know, the Nomad I, I sold and then they don't fit on the Bantam. Like they're too big, just barely too big I, to uh, make on the Bantam. Is there anything that's super critical tolerance on them? Like were they snap fit or anything? They would, they are, so the, it's actually like conformal to the spinner body, the pocket that's in the, the base, like the, mm -hmm. wooden, the bottom part, but it's not that critical. Like I could just, I made it a tight fit, but I could um, definitely like loosen that up if I wanted to and still be fine. Like if you're okay with like three or four thou like tolerance, you could probably just knock it out on the Shapeoko like in a third of the time as the, the Nomad. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just need to get, uh, Oops, sorry. I'm looking at my spinner case. The one I still have left here. Do you know what I used to do on the Shapeoko if I wanted like a really tight fitting bore or something is I would, let's say I had to do like a, like a one inch bore and I had to make sure that that one inch bore was one inch. I would undersize it by like 10 thou. And then, and, you know, cause if you stop the program and you have to run it again and, and upload new code that has to like do that whole movement thing. So I would uh, do a program where I would go and do a contour where I knew it was undersized. And then I would manually program G-code to move the spindle out of the way while it's still spinning. And then I'd pause it, I'd check, see how much it is. And then I'd have basically multiple contour passes that come back in, each one taking like one thou. And then it would move, it would do the contour pass, take another thou, then move out of my way. And then I'd pause it, <laughs> check it again. That way I wouldn't have to like stop the program, reload, the machine's got a home and then, you know, like I didn't want to wait, so I would do like 10 of these. And then once I got to the one where it fit, I would just shut it off. And that would be it. That was like my cheater way of not having to wait for me to load a new program and like wait for it to spin up again and stuff. That's a, that's an interesting solution. What I used to do is, um, well, actually, I still do that sometimes, is I will post out my G-code, and then I'll go back in. I will change my stock to leave on like the finishing pass, like tweak it by like two or three thou and just export that tool path. So if I need to rerun it and tweak it, like I've already got a second file that will just adjust it, make that feature a little larger um, than it needs to be. Right, I, yeah. I might even have like two or three of those, like just in, in the bank so I can just run them whenever I need them. But I've never thought about pausing the program and checking it's it just, right there. Yeah, I, I used to do exact same thing. I would I would export like five contours, each one taking one thou more <laughs> or something. But I just got tired of like having to stop and load, stop and load. So I just I just threw it in one and I would just throw a line to move in Y like five inches and then stop like in a posit. And I could do a quick check and then resume, go back in. I knew he was gonna that do the next one thou. That's laziness to the max. And <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> So I had actually a thing I want to ask you, Winston, uh, back on the 3D printing, unfortunately. I've been, oh, no. have you ever, have you ever heard of a 3D printer? Like, you know how like they, they're currently, they're like XY gantry style. There's one called like core XY where, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. so 
I, I just discovered, I didn't even know that they made these. They don't seem to be well-made though, but they seem that if you can get one, like one of those kits that are out there that are well put together, and then you can tweak it well enough that they print superior to like the gantry style. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. It shares the, like the step, the drive for the X and the Y is the same stepper motors, right? They just run them. They um, basically yeah. like, it's like a tug of war. So anytime right. you make a move in X, the Y is releasing itself so that you can pull. If you were just to spin the Y or the X, the spindle moves at a 45 degree angle. It's kind of crazy. And it's basically long belts that go in and it's like a huge, like a drivetrain type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at that a, a few years ago. Um, I was trying, I was thinking about building my own laser um, motion platform, for my laser, but it's like, it's neat. I like the way it works. Um, I'm sure there's limits on, like, I don't know if it's good for CNC. Maybe too, oh, actually, I don't know. There's probably no backlash in it. No, the problem is the length of belts. Yeah. Yeah. The tensioning right. of the belts, but. Because I'm really, I'm trying to, because the resin printer, like, you know, the whole thing going on, they're not making them right now. And then I was trying to buy a FDM printer and, like, I can't find one that I like that I think, you know, not, without having going straight to Prusa, like, I wanted to look for, like, a different option that I could maybe tinker with. And then I, these core XY ones started popping up and I thought it was kind of interesting, but um, I don't know. It, it's, like, old tech, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people doing it. And then it's like hit or miss. It's like some people get really amazing prints and I've seen them. They are way better than anything I've seen on a standard, like even from a Prusa or whatever, like the quality of the print seems to be way better when they dial it in, like when they can get it dialed in. So that was interesting to me. And on top of these, most of these kits are open at source, open-ended. So there's a whole lot of free information and you can do a lot of modifications by yourself and stuff. But um, I'm fully getting ready to like, I'm trying to set up like a whole additive section in the garage. So I'm trying to do more research on what I should be buying, but are you still pretty happy with your Ender 5? I am. Um, Ender 5 Pro, um, because it does come with the silent um, Trinamic stepper driver uh, board, which is nice, but um, so far so good. I Today I was actually just cutting out some polycarbonate panels to enclose it, uh, just the sides, not the top. Um, and uh, I, I was trying to resist um, like printing a hinge for the door, but given uh, the, the circumstances that we find ourselves in in Los Angeles, I, was, I just decided I'm not going to make a trip to Home Depot. I'm just going to 3D print a hinge. Um, so, so far, so good. It's uh, the, the print quality is um, I, I'd give it a 7 out of 10. If I really want to fiddle with like accelerations and like uh, maybe like finding a better nozzle, I'm sure I could get that like comparable to the Ultimakers we have at work. But for like three, four hundred bucks, I'm pretty happy. You know, I was reading more about the other one you you wanted to get the the five plus with the auto leveling, mm -hmm. and all I read were people complaining about it how it doesn't work. Like, I don't know, like it just wasn't there yet. They need to update some kind of software or something like that. So, so I mean, that's, you're getting into the areas where like tweaking the, the firmware and like the, um, the startup sequence, like that you just have to start to get into that. Um, but it's, I don't know, it, it can be hit or miss. Um, but you're still at the price point where it's like, you can't expect it to work perfectly out of the box. You have to mess with it a little bit. 
So I, right. I would give him a pass on that, but um, anything sub seven eight hundred dollars, like you, you better expect to have to turn a wrench a little bit. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Just getting the garage ready and trying to buy some three D printers so I can mess around with some stuff. I have some ideas Honestly, for a couple things. Have you messed with FDM before? Never. I would honestly just buy a cheaper printer and just get start understanding the variables that go into making a good print. Because um, even if you get like a Core XY and you have to start like messing with it, um, it'll be more frustrating for you to have to mess with a high end machine than to like just buy a four or five hundred dollar printer, uh, like run it into the ground, uh, like just turn everything until it breaks. Um, you might even just be satisfied with the quality of prints you get from that. I'd say just, just like with the CNC, start small, learn the basics, uh, figure out which knobs you need to turn in order to, to improve the quality of what you get, and then uh, from there decide do you really need to go higher end. Because unless you're, um, like, even for basic, like, templates, like if I need to drill a hole pattern or, like, some brackets to hold, a, like, th three pieces together in a corner... I would trust the uh, the Ender Five just fine. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because it's really on Amazon. Just that, buy it now. It's like it's coming down to that. Like, it's what can I even get? You know, like what's available right now for to buy? So the Ender Five and the Ender Three are both available um, to still get and stuff. I think that's the only company that I actually have heard of that you can still get stuff for. Most of the other stuff, especially the resin printers, are all sold out or out of stock. Anyways, what else is going on? Oh, you know what? Um, we should probably mention here, I think most people that were looking at going already know this, but uh, Fusion 360 Academy in Portland is, I think the official word is postponed, right? It's not going to be in June. Yeah. Yeah. So very, just very heads sad. up for anyone that was, yeah, anyone that didn't, didn't know about that. Um, so I think they're still hoping to do it later this year. We'll see where Autodesk lands on that. Um, the other big event that's canceled <laughs> is the DFX get together, right? In April. Yep. Neoplasia 2020. It'll yeah. be postponed. We'll, we'll figure it out. Cause I really want to knock out this, uh, this coaster project. Yeah. I think it's, it's good because I want to make sure the compressor is reliable before you guys come down here. So, so far so good, but, um, if I'm gonna have to get another compressor, you know, I hate for that to be going on in the middle of when you guys are here. So that should actually the delay. Will well, I mean, even before that, I would hate like Winston and I still have to go into an airport and board a plane before we get there, and who, <laughs> yeah. who knows what we're gonna catch when we or walking around. So, so that that to me was the immediate. We should just cancel, and I mean, we can always last yeah. minute go. I'm pretty sure even when this thing's over, people aren't just gonna be flying, you know, to go to the airport to. To risk or whatever so i think yeah, we'll be okay yeah. yeah bummed about the autodesk thing though i was really looking forward to that i was trying to think what else is, um i actually had the i should have filmed that i uh had the v250 fired up last week for a couple of, like real quick parts i wanted to run before the before i had the neo right, before dan showed up but uh it's just kind of making i was trying to make um these little like magnetic I don't know how to explain them. I, I used to 3D print these hooks. Like just, I used them in the garage, kind of screw them to the wall and hold whatever, brushes or whatever, um, tire gauges. But I'm trying to kind of redesign them to 
take one of those rare earth magnets and start using them like on the machine, any place I just want to hang something. So I thought I'd get a little head start on those with the, the pocket in C. And I actually like the way it came out. I'll probably film the next one I make. Um, once I get the fourth axis up on the Neo, it'd be easy to make them on there. But but right now it's like, uh, it was kind of fun. I hadn't used the V250 in probably since, I think, February. So I was just kind of busy getting busy getting everything going in the garage. And it was nice, nice to kind of run that machine again. It, yeah. It was like saying, that, uh, any plans on moving that into the garage since you've got the, the big compressor there? Yeah, right now I wouldn't because I, I don't want to, I can't spray the air. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, with the big, at one point I had, I was thinking like I'd run lines in here uh, to feed that machine, but yeah, you know, I don't, really don't have to deal with it until the spindle goes out. I'm still running it with no air because um, it, it basically is run most of its life that way. So I'm just going to run it till we kind of see how it fails and then we'll have a pretty good idea how long they'd last without air. It's just a, it's like a guinea pig for that. Once, yeah, if I get a replacement spindle, I'll definitely hook it up to the air before I fire it up. Yeah, it's, um, like when Dan was here, yeah, you know, I have the I have an air conditioning solution in there, but it got hot, and I think it was more because of the compressor. <laughs> it's like compressor puts off so much heat that AC, you know, has a hard time kind of coping with it. But since then, it's like it's with the fan going on the. I don't. Well, we've had cooler days too, so that probably helps. But, um, yeah, it hasn't been bad out there. The AC's doing okay. I still need to get my doors insulated, I think, before summer really gets here. Um, but I'm trying to figure out a second to, like, make it worse or make it better. It's going to trap the heat from the compressor. Yeah, I'll probably just end up having to build a little compressor enclosure at some point in the corner of the garage and just kind of vent that separately, like, out one of the, um, you know, the vents at the bottom of the garage around the perimeter. Yeah, Can, so, you can't put it outside and build an enclosure around that? Uh, that would probably, I could, but A, it could be easy to steal, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I'd still gotta, it'd have to be, like, really acoustically isolated, so the neighbors don't hear it. Like, right now, with it in the garage, and the garage is insulated, so, like, I can step out to my sidewalk and barely, it doesn't sound any different than, like, the air conditioning unit for the house. Oh, like, okay. it just sounds like that. Um, vacuum pump, you can't even hear. I was kind of surprised with how quiet the other than the compressor, how quiet everything is. Like the Neo, you know, doesn't, even when you're machining, it doesn't make much noise. Um, I'd say it's quieter than, like way quieter than I was expecting. Um, you know, I haven't really ripped through aluminum yet. It might be a little louder when I run that eight millimeter at you know, the full rate speed. But most of the stuff I've done, like when I, that surface plate, like super quiet. Um, the vacuum pump was on. That's quiet. It, it makes a noise, but it's pretty low. Like once it's locked down and got the vacuum, it's just a real low rumble. Barely hear it. I definitely can't hear it over the compressor. Yeah. Like when we were defacing your logo at Saunders machine shop, like I couldn't hear anything from the Daytron. Like the yeah, Ed's voice and our talking was louder. Like everything else was in the shop that was louder. Like I couldn't hear any noise coming out of the Daytron itself. It was a yeah, lot of stuff like, elsewhere. So, yeah, even like in a, like, I can hear the Neo, like, at the, like when we were at the lab, 
the apps lab, I could hear, you know, when it was running, um, but pretty quiet. Like when I was at Kern and we were cutting, like Marv was being aggressive. It was brass, but he was still being you know, pretty aggressive with the cuts. You don't hear that machine cut. It's just weird. I think, you know, when he runs some of the hard steel, you'll hear it, but it's, it's freaky. You see the tool, like just throwing, you can hear the chips like hitting the side of the enclosure, but you don't hear the cut. It's like super quiet. So I guess cause it's rigid, but, or maybe the oil, you know, oil cooling helps with the noise. I'm not sure. Um, and they have like all their, well, the oil on the current, like the oil, the thermal management is a separate box next to the thing. And, you know, you hear the pumps and stuff like that, but, um, like all the, I think their water chiller and all that stuff's outside the building. Like they, the whole building's plumb port, so you don't hear any of that. It's, just, it's weird <laughs> seeing a big machine like that moving really fast and like totally silent. Well, not totally, but surprisingly quiet. Yeah, the, but, I've been running the Doosan lathe at work, and that thing is not quiet, and it is <laughs> incredibly scary fast. And I'm yeah. constantly puckering. Like I did my first subspindle transfer and almost shat myself because like. Yeah. Like I had to basically uh, make sure because uh, I was doing a transfer while it was spinning. I was freaked out. Like my <laughs> hand was like on the feet hold. Like the operator's like looking at me like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. Like I'm super scared to crash this thing right now. He's like, you're fine. You're fine. I'm like, okay, okay. Or I'm like, How heavy was the, was the work piece? Was uh, the work big? piece was like five inches diameter. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty big. Yeah. But just Never watching <laughs> the main spindles rotating and spinning and then the second one coming in and then it stops yeah. like a half an inch before and then it starts to spin to sink and then it goes yeah. into the part and we were butting up against the bottom of the flange so it basically touched and then grabbed and then the uh the main spin like come pull it out while it was spinning it, it was free it was funny. Freaky. it freaked the shit out it's so cool when you uh, when you see that on instagram <laughs> i can imagine like having to yeah do if it the camera would have pulled like back terrified. i'd just be like sweating like <laughs> i'm sitting there like scared <laughs> Um, but it worked and I was super, super happy about that. So I'm excited to go back into work and keep playing yeah. away on that thing. I didn't, I didn't even realize you'd be doing turning there in addition to the machine. That's pretty cool. I mean, uh, running the mills. Honestly, like they're cool with me, just whatever, like whatever machine they got them that, that I want, you know, that we have worked for, I can jump in and, and do the yeah. proofing and stuff like that. So I'm super stoked about that. But if you can say what machines are you using there as far as uh mills are they so they have, they have stuff yeah well right now they have a bunch of like haas vm sixes with trunnions oh, okay on and then they yeah. have a bunch of moriseki machines from way back in as the three axes that are still cutting really really good even though they're made in like the 80s yeah. um and then all with the lace that we have are all dusan lace okay so yeah so they're they don't like the trunnion setup as much anymore um, they're getting ready to basically buy like a dedicated five axis and stuff. So um, it was kind of funny. I told them that I purchased the UMC and they're just like, what? <laughs> and then it took like a 30 minute conversation to explain like how I got there and stuff. But um, they were excited to hear that. And they're like, Hey, let us know. Cause we might be interested in. So if they're BF4s, I'm assuming they're, they're making pretty big parts there. Uh, some of the parts are pretty big. Like the machines are, are pretty big, big, big trunnions. But you know, you know me. Like any second that I can incept somebody, I want to get them to buy Kern <laughs> instead, <laughs> so I have a, an opportunity to play on yeah. one. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Sweet. I have to go to emo and put stickers all over yours again. I guess. 
<laughs> Speaking of stickers, you guys see the new Proven Cut stickers? Wait, what? No. Proven Cut? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I put, yeah, I put it. Oh, you probably didn't see the story. Do you have one yeah, I got machine? one. I do. Yeah, I think so. I'm looking this up. <laughs> yeah, I think they just uh, they just got some in. The first one's in like a week or, week or so ago. And I just happened to be, I happened to hit it up because I, I gave uh, all my Saunders machine works. Like I, I have them on all my machines here and then I bought some to uh, Fusion Academy last year and I didn't realize I was completely out of them. When I went to go put one on the Neo, I didn't have one. So they, they took care of me, got me uh, set up. Oh, you know what? Good. You're right. I, I'm sorry. I, I remember seeing like the sticker and magnet over there. I just, I thought you meant like they had a new logo or something, but. Um, you just mean like in just like they have stickers now yeah okay yeah, that's the first yeah. time i'd seen them okay. pretty cool um what was I say? Oh, so what do you are you guys uh got anything planned for this week for making or machine projects well i don't know if uh chris has any free time yet but um i need to just try and knock out more content um it's gonna be weird working for a full week at home because um, usually I go into work like uh, three days a week and I work from home two days a week just because you can't record any dialogue for videos in the shop. Yeah. Um, so now, since I'm entirely on my own, I got to figure out like what are some quick projects I can knock out, keep myself on task. Just because like working from home without um, like someone looking over your shoulder, it's it's kind of weird. Like it, it feels different having sort of like less accountability. Um, but still trying to keep yourself on task. So, yeah, I mean, same thing with, you know, just being a solo guy, you know, running your own business at home or in the shop, like a just one man band, it's the same. Like I have to keep a pretty regimented schedule to, <laughs> once I quit the day job. Like there was no problem during the day job because, you know, it was just pretty, it was pretty intense, but now it's like, I forget what I want to be doing the next day. If I don't like kind of have a, bit of planning so yeah i gotta i gotta be that virtual boss you know yeah i've been doing a lot more of just like making checklists just to like if i forget like what should i be doing or what could i be doing i'll just look down and be like oh i should do x y or z so yeah yeah it's weird that when there's no one that's gonna come and ask you are you working on the right thing it's like (laughs) figure that out yourself yeah especially because uh my boss just He's not responsive on, uh, like, Slack or email. Uh, I feel constantly ignored, which is why I like going into work, because I can just harass him in the morning. Um, <laughs> so, nowadays, I don't know. Yeah, I so, think... Yeah. I, I feel like... I, I feel like when you work for somebody, it's it's nice to be able to go into the office. Um, you know, if I, if I was working from home, but I was working for myself, like I had my own thing to make on a machine, I'd have no problem keeping myself busy and all this stuff. But I think when, especially you, cause you're the marketing director, so it's your job to figure out what to do and stuff. So I, I get that whole, like sometimes being in the office, uh, kind of resets my brain to be in a different mentality than like, if I'm at home, it's okay. It's time to, to do fun stuff or chill. And it also, um, forces me to, to pick and choose my projects because my nomad is in the shop in Torrance, so here I've only got Shapeoko. So depending on where I am, that also determines what kind of project I'm doing. Um, I made sure, like before I left work on Wednesday, to like grab a handful of uh, Amana and Mills, 
just because like if I want to make a video with them because they've got a compression end mill um, and an eighth inch down cut that I don't have like there's no um, nothing like that in the standard carbide line of tools uh, just if I want to make a video with them I got to have them on hand so I, I grabbed them and luckily that was on Wednesday before the order came down on Thursday to um, stay at home so it was good that I thought like, oh, I'll just grab them, hold on to them. Maybe I'll come up with a project with them over the weekend. Now it's maybe I'll come up with a project for them like over the next month. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah, I'm just getting the garage ready still. I have more tables and things coming in. Um, and, you know, I got to decide on what color I'm going to paint the walls and what decorations I'm going to set up the scene and everything. So when I'm pick taking pictures and filming or whatnot, it doesn't look all crappy. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to be working on. You're getting pretty invested in that space. Yeah, I know. Um, I have to, otherwise I'm never going to get my ass off and get the YouTube videos start going. So this is definitely kicking me into gear. I've, I've never felt more productive than I did this weekend because I, I did a lot of work in the garage and my office. So now I'm, I'm right now I'm at, I stopped because I'm at that point where I need to choose colors and like decoration and design and where am I going to put things and where is my camera going to sit? So I've been working a lot with that lately. So hopefully I get that figured out. And then I do have my first project in mind for the pocket and see um, that I want to do. So it should be fun. And it should probably take me a while to get it done. So when I'm finished, I think the UMC will probably just arrive around then. So that'll be perfect timing. Nice. I can't wait to actually play around on that machine once we're uh, all out of quarantine. <laughs> right. Well, I was just gonna say, yeah, my you know I had a West Coast trip planned for May, but that's that's gonna have to go back in the uh, planning phase until this is all over. So I'm probably get to see your UMC for a while. Yeah, but you know it'll be there. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. <laughs> so um, yeah, I hope uh, everyone stays safe out there and you know take it easy on the toilet paper. It's not that serious, everybody. <laughs> yeah. If you need uh, really clean parts that get sterilized while they're made, just let me know. <laughs> Alcohol spray. Yeah, no, I just need to double down on, on planning for this week. Uh, it's going to be my first week working solo. So, yeah, other than that, no, I'm pretty set. All right, well, guys, like I said, be careful out there and uh, I guess make the most of it, right? Absolutely. I, yep. Yeah, I think um, I mentioned it before we started recording, but I think Texas is going to be in the same state California's in with the shelter-in-place order. But it's, it's imminent here, I'm sure. So, but thankfully, anyway. you've got your Neo already. Yeah, yeah, I was already. I mean, it's weird because, like, I you know, my wife is um, she's still working, you know, at the same place I used to work. And she, like, she's been working from home as most of them, the corporate office folks are. And, but she's, you know, she's basically on conference bridges all day during the week and on the weekends too now with this, just kind of helping the company deal with this stuff. And like, if I was still there, I'd be same thing. Like we'd all be kind of just going a little crazy, trying to struggle with a little, um, you know, it's been a big impact to supply chain logistics, which, you know, it's a, supermarket grocery store type company so that's a big deal for them trying mm -hmm. to keep everything up and running and keep you know keep everybody customers right get them what they can 
Um, but yeah, now it's like working at home. I almost feel kind of isolated from the whole thing that's going on just because I don't really, it's like I was already doing what they're asking everyone to do <laughs> and just stay home and work. <laughs> so it's like, you know, my wife is kind of funny because she's like, you know, she's a little freaked out by what's going on. Um, like I'm just carrying on as usual, right? Get my machine in and everything I had planned for this month still happening. Um, cause it's all involves just pretty much stuff going on in the house. And, uh, <laughs> I think she, she was a little, uh, getting a little frustrated with me. It's like, you should be more, more like upset about all this. And that's <laughs> kind of funny. I probably like, it'll be a different tune here in a couple of weeks. I'm sure it's going to you know, get worse before it gets better. But, um, I think Texas, Texas uh, case count starting to climb, so we'll see. Yeah, I think my yeah. parting thought. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it. Um, I knew it was always kind of a serious thing, uh, virus, but it hit me more when you know I go out to the supermarket and the shelves are completely empty. There's nothing. There's there's everything. The only thing that you can buy is basically alcohol and chips. And it was kind of weird walking into a market and just seeing everything empty. That's literally a scene out of like the walking dead or a zombie movie, you know, yeah. but to see that in yeah. real time, it was kind of a strange feeling. And I think that's for me when I knew, uh, people are kind of semi panicking and stuff. So it's time, time to load up and, and be safe. Okay, guys. Well, I think I'll say good night here. All right. I'll do the same. Have a good one, yeah. guys. Have a good one. Take care, everyone. So, Chris, how does it feel to be an essential employee these days? Is it weird going to going into work? Um, it's not weird. It's just everyone's. You can tell there's a little bit of fear. Um, everyone's like wearing masks, and no one wants to shake hands anymore. Um, I am super grateful that my company does isn't as qualified as an essential because otherwise, I don't know what I would do if I if I couldn't work right now. That's kind of scary. Um, you know, luckily I still rent. So uh, me not having a mortgage is not as scary, but I, I feel really bad for the people out there who do have a mortgage or family and, you know, not getting a paycheck pretty much. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Like financially, I'm really glad I don't have a lot of expenses. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine if like you'd recently just bought a house and then been like unable to work. Yeah, and even if you had a savings, like this is the last thing I would want to blow my savings on. You know, just surviving, that's terrible. I, I think one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about was like, you know how uh, I'm sure everyone's seen like the 3D printer scene. They, they've kind of like, uh, some of them are printing like CPAP hood, like ventilator, little valve things. And then I think Prusa started printing these like face shields to give to them. Uh, Italy like medical workers and stuff like that and I was on thinking about it like what is it that we could do to help I mean we were subtractive and technically I feel like we can make amazing products as well but it's just I think there's a lot of what can we do and also is it legal to do it and on the side thing is like what if we make something or somebody makes something and it fails is there like legal repercussions or is it because it's a state of emergency? Does it mean that it's kind of okay right now? Like I want to help and I'm sure others do too, but I'm not exactly sure how we can help. Yeah. I was getting that vibe when I was reading the article about the 3d printed valves in Italy. And it sounds like it was like a, a last resort thing, right? They only used like a, a certain number of them. And that was also because the company that made the original part couldn't provide them in time. So I think anything that, we do as a community is going to be like a last ditch effort. Um, 
And if you're at that point, I mean, you kind of have to go on faith that, like, even if you make something and it's not as good as the original, like, it's better than nothing. Um, but it is, like, it's a weird time, and I I wish there was more that, like, we could do as, as like, Team Subtractive, because there's a lot of parts that's really easy to just print any geometry, but I feel like the difficulty with stepping in, like, as a three- or five-axis uh, programmer is, like, these parts are pretty complicated. It's more than one setup, usually. Um, so it's hard for people just in their garage to, to be able to knock out parts that you trust have a certain dimensional accuracy. Um, I think someone sent me a link to like an open source ventilator that was being worked on in the UK. And like, I took a quick glance at it and it really just looked like a bunch of like off the shelf parts stuck together on a board. And I was like, the only part that I could really machine there is like just the board that they're mounted on. And honestly, if you're going to make one, just, like cut it out of MDF, um, bore the holes slightly oversized, press in some uh, drill bushings, and then just use that template and just drill them out by hand. It's going to be faster than putting it on a CNC router and doing it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm honestly not sure where or if we can play a role in this, but if there's any way that we can contribute, um, if any of our listeners know, just just tag us on Twitter or something. Just let us know, share it, because I'm curious. Yeah, me, me too. I'm generally just wondering, like, how to approach this. Like, if, you know, I've been talking to the doctors I used to work with, like, in the hospital and, and clinics, and um, right now they're more concerned in our area with just the lack of testing and, you know, the low amount of isolation beds that they have. There's real no, like, uh, it's not like he's going to be able to tell me, like, oh, yeah, we need these type of valves. Can you make it? And, so I don't even know who to approach for this. And then, you know, the, those Italy guys who printed the valve, originally I think there was some turmoil with the company that was, um, I don't know if they were suing them or, you know, they did a cease and desist type thing, but there was a little bit of weirdness in the beginning. And I think that's that didn't go through, but it's settled now. But um, those guys had to reverse engineer the, the valve to make it. They didn't actually get their permission to, like, make it themselves from the company. So yeah. there's all this like proprietary stuff that like, I don't know how to, how do we work around this, right? Like in a state of emergency where um, we need to make stuff or something, can we even get involved as like just random instant machinists? Or is it something that we need to wait until there's a call to action from the government before we can act? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a weird gray area. Um, I, I really don't have any, any answer to that, but I do know that like the parts that we could make would be significantly better than like 3D printed parts. Cause I was also reading like some of the concerns is like those parts that get printed are one time use only because it's really hard to sterilize printed parts. Uh, the, the porosity, the surface texture makes them like breeding grounds for uh, like just biological contaminants. Mm-hmm. So like, subtractive manufacturing would let us use like the right materials um to get it done but i mean this is all theoretical so i don't know we'll see uh how things go hopefully it never gets that desperate but i mean the community that like we're out here so if we're ever called upon we're ready so yeah and i think it'd just be cool to kind of be part i mean 
Project Egress is really fun to watch, right? And that was just kind of like for a fun thing. I think something like this would be more meaningful on a humanitarian level. That'd be even cooler to uh, to be a part of as well. Not only to just help, but also collectively bring everyone together to pitch in, you know? I think that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, side note, um, Joseph Prusa, he wrote together a pretty cool article about how um, they were really proactive in implementing like health safety procedures in their factory and whatnot. It makes for a pretty good read. I'll uh, throw a link in the uh, show notes. Okay, yeah. And another one that I thought was pretty cool was Mark Rober's video about how germs spread. Um, how he like he sprayed like this glow in the dark powder or UV powder on these kids' hands, like on three kids, and they went throughout their day doing normal stuff. And then at the end of the day, he took a UV light, and the the powder was like everywhere, like on all the desks, on people's faces, the doorknobs, like just everywhere. And it just shows you how it's a really good example of how easy it is to spread germs and also how important like hand washing is, you know, like you touch your face hundreds of times a day without you really consciously being aware of it. So that, that touching is what puts you at highest risk for getting, you know, the infection or getting sick from the virus. Yeah. I, I, there was uh, like just towards the end, he did like the one experiment where he just put it on one person's hand and had like a chain of kids just shake hands and like you could detect this stuff like eight hands down. Yeah. It was nuts. Yeah. I think that was a really good video of, of how to how to show like how easy it is to to spread this you know thing out without even thinking one person can infect eight and then it just, you know, then each of those people can infect their eight. And it just kind of goes big, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger before it's unstoppable. So, yeah. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about is this whole thing has, it's an awakening for, I think, us, you know, being in the U.S. And also that maybe that we outsource way too many things, especially things that we need. Like, I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% positive, but I'm pretty sure that even the diabetic medicine that we, that we are short on already is not being made in the U.S., um, I also know that normal saline is made in Puerto Rico as far as like 90% of the supply. And I know that when the hurricane hit, um, when I was still working as a nurse, I was short. It was difficult to get saline for my patients for two years. And, you know, us not giving them aid wasn't helping the situation either. And it was really difficult to like get something as simple as saline, you know. And I, I can only imagine if that were to go on to other things like, I mean... I can't buy 3D printers, but that's like the least of the worry, right? Like we outsource so many things that we actually do need. And what happens when global demand hits and we're, we don't we don't get what we need, then we need to be able to have the infrastructure and facilities to produce our own here. So um, I think this is like a really touchy subject though, right? Because I think customers or people that buy things on Amazon or, or whatever, they want to buy cheap things. And then that drives manufacturers out of country so that they can compete with those demands. So I think there's also a consumer responsibility to know like, hey, supporting a locally made item or product um, ensures that that company is able to you know, pay the workers that live locally in the U.S. to make the things that you need. And buying from overseas is what contributes to this problem anyways. You know, most of these major corporations uh, produce outside of the U.S. because the labor is so cheap and we're getting we're getting the deal then, but we're kind of paying for it now, you know, because most of our manufacturing for some of the important things are no longer here. So I hope 
this is a good wake up call in the sense where we all can kind of sit back or pull back and be like, Hey, what are we doing wrong? We need to fix some stuff so that if this were to happen again, we're not completely dependent on how some other country can manufacture things or not. So I think that's one of the scarier things for me um, that I've been seeing lately. Yeah. I, I think I read a report that like India uh, makes one of the drugs primarily that looks promising in treating uh, COVID-19. And like people were saying like the supply, it, it seems like they might be setting aside some for themselves uh, and giving them their own country priority uh, before distributing it. And when you can't control the supply chain like that, it's it can be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also some things that... Um, so like Carbide 3D, we manufacture CNC machines, we try and do as much as we can in the country, but there are just certain parts that you can't get in the united states like i think um if you try and get like custom wound motors or steppers like in the country there's like a handful of companies you could probably count them like on your hands like single digit that would be able to do that and it wouldn't be cost effective at all um and so there there's certain realities of like we can't do absolutely everything and apple discovered that when they tried to make their mac pro in texas they tried to buy custom hardware and they just there aren't enough factories that make screws that you can call upon and say hey i need fifty thousand of these like they had to go to a job shop um, which you know is not going to be the cheapest way just to make a screw so it's it's kind of a chicken and the egg problem how do you bring these capabilities overseas when like the economies of scale are already there like we need you almost need to have like an alliance of companies that are all going to be like hey, we're going to start sourcing these products uh, domestically. Like, it'd have to be like a sort of just a call to action, like, hey, someone, like, make a screw factory or something. So it's definitely um, a wake-up call. We'll we'll see how much this moves the needle, though. I hope it moves it a lot. I mean, we, we've only begun to see kind of like what's going to be happening. I mean, social distancing thing is is going to work okay until it doesn't, right? Because if, if you have California shut down and Nevada shut down, but then somebody from Arizona walks in after three weeks of shutdown and he has it or she has it, then he gives it to one person and it's going to start all over again. Like, I, I don't see how this is going to work. And I don't I don't even know if they, they know how this is going to work. I think the shutdown is just to... Um, prevent the like to prevent the fact that if everyone got sick at one time and had to go to the hospital they're trying to bring that curve down so it's not um it's not going to be so resource intensive right but this isn't an actual long-term solution because in order for this to truly work literally everyone has to shut down at the same time right if everyone were to shut down for like three four weeks at the same time when we started up again in four weeks technically ideally it should be gone right as long as we don't let any other sources of the virus come in from outside the country or anything like that. But I can't see that happening. Can you like that? That'd be like a huge undertaking of of coordination from everybody. And I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, So one of my friends who lives in uh, New York city, um, he, they recently took a, like a family trip down to North Carolina where their family is. And then before they turned back, uh, New York city shut down and they were like, we're just going to ride it out here in North Carolina. And I asked him, like, what's the the mood down there? And he's like, everyone is, is kind of lax just because it's like more 
like residential and rural and stuff and like those people they're they're not going to buy into the whole like we need to hardcore quarantine um so you're just going to have pockets of people doing their own thing but i think the 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 most we're going to get out of this is to flatten the curve and hopefully um by the time people start trickling back into work like we have enough testing to stay on top of it um or like because right now at this point like our testing is just to confirm do you have coronavirus all right you can stay in the hospital quarantine whatever um, but at this point we're not able to work backwards and like track down who you had contact with um so it's it's really more just about managing right there at that moment who you have in front of you and you can't really cut off that chain of transmission uh, but if we can sort of catch up maybe going forward like we can at least keep things stable i don't know yeah, yeah it, it honestly just we're gonna see and i just don't want this to like obviously we don't want this shutdown to last a long time right because it's it's going to destroy people and businesses, right? Um, one easy example is like, look at the movie industry. They pull, everybody pulled their movies. There's nothing coming out. Um, movie theaters have completely shut down. Are they even going to survive this? Like, is there once you know Universal kind of broke that barrier of going straight to demand from a movie theater release? And I feel like once somebody's broken that seal, it's why would we ever come back to that if it kind of works, right? I, I think, I know movie theaters are like the least important thing to have, but I'm just using it as an example to show like this industry may not survive what's going to happen or if it comes back, maybe it'd be changed for the better or for the worse, who knows? But on that's like on a macro scale. We're talking about like local businesses, restaurants and stuff. Like I'm seeing bars that like they're having trouble staying open and stuff. And it's just really sad. Like I, I'm, I wish we had a better solution for everybody. You know, especially what I see at my old clinic, like they're struggling too, just to have enough like mask and stuff. And I wish people would stop buying them because surgical masks don't really do anything. And, you know, the N95 mask is, it's going to help you in somewhat regard if you're just walking around. But in reality, what about the person who's at the hospital or at the clinic who's treating someone with coronavirus and they're literally coughing in front of their face, like two feet away? because they have to start an IV on them or something. We're taking masks from people like that who really need it versus you, the person at home who could just not go out and don't need a mask. Um, and I think that hysteria has like transferred into everything like hand sanitizer, uh, toilet paper, which is so stupid. And like people just buying all these things in excess that it's just, it's just crazy to me. Like it's, it annoys me to some extent because they're, they're taking things away from people that actually need it when you don't really need it uh, because of the panic that what may or may not happen. So I don't know that that's just kind of my general gist or feel of how I, how I think everything's going and how poorly planned everything is. Yeah. For the record, um, surgical masks are meant to keep things in. Um, so they're, they're not going to stop you from uh, getting infected in case anyone has been hoarding them. Yeah. Like this virus can be spread through particulate in the air. So the second that you breathe in that surgical mask, the openings on the sides, when that air comes in, you could breathe it in and you'd, get, you'd catch it. Um, you know, the reason why this virus is so scary is like, 
you know, normally there's an influenza flu, which is a human-based virus, and then there's an animal-to-human-based virus, a new virus is called novel viruses. And when it jumps from an animal to human, that's very scary, but it's even scarier when it jumps from an animal to human and then human to human, which is happening right now, because your body doesn't have an actual immune system that understands what this is, because it's, it's not human, so it doesn't know to attack it. So without a vaccine, um, it's, it's, this is why people are dying is because they're, they're basically just trying to ride it out while the virus is doing its thing because your body doesn't know to act against it. Um, and pneumonia is nothing to sneeze at. Pneumonia will kill people on a, a normal day, let alone something like this that's like attacking it with such aggressive nature. So it's pretty serious. I, you know, I have a friend who's going through it right now, so I'm, I'm hoping the best for him. And uh, I, I hope everyone else is staying away and staying home and taking this seriously. You know, washing the hands is, is very effective because if you watched that video from Mark Roper, you can see how many germs you carry with you. And think about how many times you touch your phone and put that phone to your face. Like it's, it's just watch the video. You'll see what I mean, how easy it is to transfer germs from place to place. Yeah. So for anyone who is staying home, I do want to point out that uh, Pocket NC and Mastercam are both making some training resources available. So if you want to pick up a skill or something, uh, I highly recommend those. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I've been looking through some of the Mastercam stuff. It's, it's pretty nice. You're using that at work, though, and you have formal training in that. So do you think that it's a, uh, an actually like a good resource? Because like, I've looked at it, but I haven't um, looked at it through the lens of, like, is this actually effective to get me to the skills I need? Um. It's better than nothing <laughs> because normally like Mastercam is very secretive about their stuff. Um, they don't even like people putting out YouTube videos on training. They'll actually message you and tell you to take it off because they want to control that education. You know, so um, if they're releasing anything, I think it's definitely worth checking out if anyone's interested because it's kind of unprecedented. Like you usually don't get this kind of like tutorial or thing for free. You have to buy a license and log in in order to get the training documents. So um, if they're giving out for free, I, this is a great opportunity if you're at home to learn and take a look at it or even just take a peek and see see what's on the other side. Um, and the Pocket NC thing is pretty cool too, especially anyone who's interested in 5-axis. You get a kind of gander at how to program for five axis and to see what it's like um that one's even more useful because like you don't get a free copy of uh, Mastercam to play around with but for the pocket nc you can at least run it on their uh, simulator on their website right yeah and then yeah even the demo version of Mastercam, you can't post you can't you can't you can just draw things and and you know do the tool paths but you can't actually like post anything out to look at the cheat code or anything so well, that's all I kind of had to say about it. Um, I hope everyone... Do you have anything you wanted to add? Uh, nope. That, that covers our uh, just what I wanted to get off my chest. Yeah. I, I just hope everyone stays safe, stay home, you know, wash your hands, and do what you can to support local businesses that are still open because they're really struggling. And you know, I always put myself in someone else's shoes, like what it'd be like to own that restaurant that no one's coming to and trying to tell like my employees or my family, like, hey, we have no money coming in for the next couple of weeks. So that's pretty messed up so um i hope everyone stays safe and healthy and we'll talk to you guys soon yep amen take care chris later man